0: Welcome to Changing the Rules, a weekly podcast about people who are living their best life and how you can figure out how to do it, too. Join us with your lively host, Ray Lowe, better known as the luckiest guy in the world. Good morning, everybody. Uh, This is Ray Lowe, and I am the luckiest guy in the world, and I'm sitting here. The reason I'm the luckiest guy in the world is I'm sitting here in Woodbury, New Jersey, and Taylor is running this whole show for me, so I don't have to do any work. All right. Our show, Changing the Rules, is all about the luckiest people in the world and how they rebuild their lives under their terms and then live them to the fullest. And one of the things that they realize is that they have to handle rules easily and they're not opposed to changing the rules and making them work for them. You know, one of the things about uh, rules is that they tend to dominate our lives, and if we live our lives by other people's rules, we're not living our own lives. So this month, we have a co-host. Her name is Bonnie Shea. Bonnie has been on a number of times, and she is a photo organizer based in Chicago, Illinois. And you can find out all about her if you go back and listen to some of her past podcasts. But we have such a great guest today that I want to save time for that. And the theme of our uh, podcast this month is the power of a story. And uh, this time we're going to talk a little bit about stories in film. So, uh, Bonnie, say hello and then introduce our guest.
1: Excellent. Good morning. Hello, everybody. So our guest today is Ariel Nobile. And Ariel and I met eight years ago. Time flies, and you're having fun. And she was working on a documentary film for a family, and she needed someone to assist on the photo portion. And she lived in Colorado, and she was working with a Chicago-based family, so she needed some help. So we collaborated from afar. And since then, we have collaborated on several family documentaries. And then she moved to the same northern suburb of Chicago that I live in, so we've been able to work in person. We even have taken exercise classes together, and our kids have been in the same dual-language school. That's a whole nother podcast. I digress. (laughs) So Ariel and I both tell our clients' stories. Ariel with interviewing and video, and I with photos, but they overlap because they're both visual and they're all about stories. She does some other type of video work as well that she'll share with us today um, as we chat along. So Arielle, good morning and welcome to our podcast. And I'd love for you to share your story of how you got to this point, the journey that you have chosen. And it's a very exciting journey. It's far from boring. So
2: let's go. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me, Bonnie and Ray. It's a pleasure to be here. And yes, it's amazing, you know, to think about. I've been asked this question many times and sort of, you know, which sort of way in do I want to go? Because that's something about a story that I think your listeners, you know, probably are already aware of on some level, but also could consider it's, you know, from where do we enter a story? And that what, from what vantage point? And that answer is actually always from like, the present moment where we are right now. Um, and how did I get here? <laughs> well, I... As a young, young child, I can picture myself and there's these fabulous pictures of me dressed up in my great-grandmother's old, like, honestly, like, necklace, I want to say, like, nightgowns, sorry. <laughs> these silk nightgowns and her hats and her shoes. And I just, oh, I wanted to be a movie star. I just thought that would be fabulous. Then I could just perform and everyone would clap for me. And, and then as I evolved and grew up, I thought, well, I just love stories. I love telling stories. I love reading stories. I love creating stories. There's my kitty agreeing with me in the background, if you can hear that. And I started studying at Piven Theater Workshop as as a young child in Evanston, Illinois. And then I also had the fortune of um, having this amazing woman. I believe her her name was Mrs. Shapiro. And she came into our fourth grade classroom, Mr. Healy's classroom. And she did a whole poetry unit with us. And something about poetry just really resonated with me and I remember actually feeling a little bit stumped with the assignment and then I looked out the window and this poem just came to me and I titled it when I look out the window well that poem I guess was inspired enough channeled perhaps to give me the winning slot well the second there were two winning slots of fourth grade that year in all of Illinois and I won Gwendolyn Brooks annual poet laureate contest for for fourth graders it went all the way through high school and I got to go meet Gwendolyn Brooks who was then the Illinois poet laureate and she gave me my first journal and wrote in it, "I'm so proud of you," and that inspired me to continue writing and telling stories. And well, I did go on to go to NYU and study experimental theater and um, move towards my dream of movie stardom. And I did start. I did actually work in film and and was on, you know, a bl- blip on a show. Where- <laughs> A really, a show that didn't last long on MTV that was a sketch comedy show and I was in some independent films, um, I quickly realized that was not where my heart was at and that um, what I really wanted to do was be more active in telling stories, especially as a woman at that time in Hollywood. Um, there just wasn't a lot of great representation and not a lot of female stories being told by women. I think that's changed in the last twenty years. Thankfully, I'm sure I wasn't the only one who recognized the sort of slim pickings, and I just was someone I love um, a good story, and I wanted also not be um, I wanted to be able to be myself and still tell stories, and that okay. is one of the ways I got into documentary.
0: Okay, so so there were a couple of pivotal things I think that we discussed earlier, and uh talk to us a little bit about the soldier with the machine gun that took your camera away from you
2: yeah so that was so I graduated from NYU in 2001 when New York was still sort of an innocent city it sounds funny to say that but it was you know that Giuliani had done his cleanup thing and it was an amazing time in New York City and then 9-11 happened a few months later and as ever as the whole world watched in horror and shock and the aftermath of that I actually had been living in Chicago again and I moved I decided to move back to New York and on a sort of exploratory trip I went back to see where I was going to be living and then I was flying back to Chicago to get my stuff I was at LaGuardia and this was I think this was three weeks post 9-11 and I'm at the security checkpoint and this is back in the day I mean younger audiences won't even remember when you didn't have to take off your shoes or check your water you know go through all of these machines and there was a soldier with a machine gun at the end of the security and I was just so shocked that my first thought was I need to document this I don't don't ask me why but I had my little point and shoot film camera And so I got it out to take a picture of of the security with the machine gun, because I'd been to other countries where I'd seen soldiers with machine guns, but I'd never seen that in our airport, in our society. And which says a lot about, honestly, my privilege, actually, in the society, because I know there's communities where that's not the case. And the soldier, with his machine gun, in my memory, pointed at me, started yelling at me and saying, put down the camera, and took the camera away from me. I said, I haven't taken any pictures yet. And I believe there was a sort of discussion, but I was really scared and I was also really angry. And he took, (laughs) he he said, you're not allowed to take pictures here. And like, I think did give me back my camera. Um, I honestly, at this point wonder if I had been a different color, would that have happened? Would it have gone down the same way? Would I have gotten my camera back, et cetera? Um, But when I left security, I was so shaken up. And what did I do? (laughs) This is a lot about who I am. I think I went and I found a young ma- a young man in uniform who was on, um who was a soldier who was I think returning home or, or being sent out. I don't remember. And told him what had just happened and sort of said, "What is going on?" And he actually took me into the the USO area and I interviewed him. Um, I took some photographs of him and I basically, in my own way. I know I was told I can't swear, but I basically, you know, gave the finger to um, to the whole <laughs> to the soldier in my mind that had screamed at me and scared me by interviewing this other young soldier and sort of getting also a sense of what was going on in our country and our, in the psyche and how this young man felt about it. And that was my beginning, in some ways, of documentary. Although I did make, I didn't tell you this before, Ray, but I did make a documentary about the meaning of life my senior year of high school. Um, So
0: that was actually the first documentary I made. Okay. So, you know, it's, it's interesting that there are certain things that affect all of us if we let them, if we let them affect us. And, Mm -hmm. and I think this, this uh, whole story of the soldier and the machine gun was a pivotal one, a pivotal one that, you know, it helped you go where you're going to go. Okay. Uh, you know, there was one other story I think you told us, and it's a parable. Uh, and and again, I think it tells a, l- a little bit about who you are and and where you're going. And tell us a little bit about the horse story, if you would.
2: Yeah, so I'm doing this. I love. I meditate every day, and I'm currently redoing a 40 day transformation course with David G, who is a teacher. And you can anyone can do this if you pay for it. It's on Insight Timer. It's an app. And David G the other day told this story about this farmer who, and this is a parable that go, I think it's like taken from all these different ancient traditions, Sufis and other Asian cultures. So this farmer um, has a horse and he wakes up in the morning and the horse, someone, his son left the gate open and the horse is gone. And the whole village comes to commiserate with him and basically say, Oh my gosh, that's terrible luck. I'm so, oh, how horrible this happened to you. Now you're not going to be able to plow your fields Your horse is gone. And the farmer's response is, well, I don't know. Let's wait and see what happens. We don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing. And the next day, his horse returns with five wild horses in tow. And all the villagers come back, and they're like, oh, my gosh, you're so lucky. This is amazing. Look, now you have six horses, and now you'll have more help hauling your fields. And again, the farmer's response is basically like, we'll see we'll see if this is a good thing or a bad thing you know time will tell and the next day the farmer's son is trying to you know tame one of these wild horses and he falls off and he breaks his arm and again the villagers come and they're like oh my gosh this is horrible your son isn't gonna be able to help you his arm is broken what a tragedy this is terrible so sorry and again the farmer's like we'll see we'll see we don't know if this is good or bad Well, the following day, the army shows up in this village and going, uh, uh, taking all the young and able-bodied men on a suicide mission, basically. And the whole village comes out, the the ones who are left come out to to say, oh, this farmer, you are so lucky. Your son doesn't have to go because of his broken arm and you're too old and wow, you are so fortunate. And the farmer's like, well, we'll wait and see. And then, of course, this story could go on forever, but the the next uh, thing that David G I believe added to this was that the whole all the people it turns out not to be a suicide mission, and all the people who went come back with like millions of dollars and all this fortune, and and this could just go on forever, right? Yeah, the, the sort of luck of the draw, um, and actually this you know I love the idea of luck, and I love your podcast being about being lucky, but I also think it is all in the eye of the beholder, right? And also it's about our inner state not necessarily at all what's happening in the outer world or, or around us because we have no control over that.
0: And and this I think is who you are because uh, the impression I get from the few times I've had the opportunity to talk with you is that you tend to follow the opportunities you know and, and you tend you know you don't get the opportunities out of these if you don't open up your eyes and look at them and and uh, I think it demonstrates to a large extent your whole concept of filmmaking, and I want to uh, get into that. But I'm going to let I'm going to let Bonnie come back on and say hello. I haven't let her get a word in edgewise here. Okay, <laughs> but 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 let's look a little bit at belonging in the USA. And Bonnie, why don't you introduce what Ariel is doing, and because uh, uh, it's exciting. It is exciting,
1: and so Ariel has. Sort of taken another fork in the road in the video and documentary world, realizing that there are stories out there that not everybody knows, and they're important stories. They're maybe maybe not even in history books um, or in the headlines in the newspaper, but they are these underlying stories and themes in our world that need airing and they need explaining and all that. So she created Belonging in the USA as the umbrella title of her um, series of documentaries that address the various stories that she feels are very important to our world. So Arielle, why don't you explain and expand about a little bit on that so people can understand and what they're gonna look forward to coming out?
2: Thank you, Barney. Yes, and you know, it's so funny because you're catching me again in a moment where I'm in this, I would say, state of expansion and um, transformation. And so the title of the series, yes, is Belonging in the USA, Stories from Our Neighbors. And yet I actually am toying, and I always had the bigger sense that I wanted it to be called Belonging in the World or Belonging in, on this Planet, because I don't feel like it's only the U.S. that I'm interested in, of course. And, I, and part of why I called it that was a little bit tongue-in-cheek, because I really believe that if you exist, you belong, and that the United States is built up of people from everywhere in the world. So we all belong in this world if we are here. And so each film, as you said, tells a different story and journey of a individual, a couple or an entire family line that somehow intersects with some of the bigger social issues that we're having at this time in history and some of the bigger conversations that I feel like we have to be having. And so, um, this is my morning voice. It's very deep and sultry. Um, I warned you guys. <laughs> um, so I feel like there's just so much that we aren't comfortable talking about. And I feel like films are a way of telling stories that give people a way into bigger conversation than dialogue. And that's part of the whole experience of watching one of these films. So I have screenings. I've had them before the pandemic. I had them all over the country at different festivals and then at libraries and other community centers where the the film film would be screened and then there would be a big group conversation, discussion that hopefully leads into more conversations and discussions because I feel like one of the things that we are lacking right now is just dialogue and willingness to engage in human-to-human conversation. So I don't know if you want me to go into what each film is. Um, The first one is you know, about a a Black Panther from the west side of Chicago who is now a renowned, world-renowned storyteller and lives in L.A. and helps inmates in the California prison system tell their stories and better themselves. Um, The second is about a couple who were disappeared or political prisoners during the Argentinian dictatorship who were exiled to the United States and who have made it their life's work to be human rights activists. Um, as well as parents and just all around amazing people, and the um, woman in that story is a poet as well, so dear to my heart. And then the third story is a, is one of your guests that you had, Lords Nichols. It's her family story about the you know pre-Japanese incarceration to the fallout from that and the long-term effects of such othering and such um, bigotry on a family system and what also can come out three generations later basically in the form of you know activism and in terms of making people more aware of how important it is to remember that we are a we. And when you look down, I love this idea that when you look down from space at this planet, you don't see borders, you don't see countries, you don't see neighborhoods, you just see one us, one we. And we are human. We are the human race, and we are lucky to be here. We are. We all are for different reasons. Um, But I also really do think, you know, we can use stories to, to catalyze and to bring more awareness and to bring more love and unconditional love and awareness of our shared humanity to the planet, and that's basically my mission.
0: Yeah, now, in addition to the film, you're doing a series of podcasts also, are you not?
2: yes I have well we're about to unleash to the world our belonging in the USA podcast, which is something that came about because of the pandemic and my um, desire to continue these dialogues with more people so that will be launching later this summer hopefully your listeners will will subscribe and share you can find out all about everything we're doing at belonging dot com there will be a site there's a sign up for our newsletter where I send I wouldn't even say monthly quarterly inspiration and and updates and um we and we'll have more about the podcast there as well and you can watch trailers for all of the films and sign up to host screenings and you can contribute because we are fundraising always because it is we are a guerrilla grassroots filmmaking organization independent to a fault sometimes (laughs) and (laughs) yeah we need all the support we can get
0: Okay, so, so there's one last thing that we have to talk about here that I think is in, incredibly interesting and important. And, and when I asked you, you know, what to find you at, at some point in time and what made you get, get the direction that you wanted, you came up with an interesting two-word phrase, regretted, oh, regretted longing. Oh, regretted longing, yes. So t- and longing. tell us what regretted <laughs> longing is.
2: So I have a company called Legacy Connections Films that I started in 2005 by making documentary films about both of my grandmothers, who are thankfully still with us at 91 and 93 years old. And I began that company and that vein of filmmaking because I experienced what I always say is regret and longing. I had been lucky enough to have all of my grandparents in my life until my early 20s. And three of my great grandmothers, one of whom lived until I was a freshman in college. So I had a sort of peopled history of wisdom or not necessarily wisdom, but of history that I could have tapped into and asked more questions. And so the regret comes from the fact that I didn't ask my great grandmother who lived to be 100 more about her journey from the Ukraine to Chicago and really about her life in general. I just don't know much. Um, I remember her but I don't know much about that journey and the longing comes from wishing that I did and especially with my grandfathers one of whom I was particularly close to gosh I just I miss him so much to this day even though I do feel his his spirit and presence I can't um, ask him the questions you know and I, I think I told you this story too my other grandfather my paternal grandfather bought in world war ii in japan um i know that he was very affected by that and had a reverence for japanese culture and one including you know making us all remove our shoes all the time at his house which i still do to this day but i i wish now that i'm working on this film about that that i could ask him more because my grandmother met him after his time as a soldier so She didn't, you know, she got some stories, but I don't know. Did he have PTSD? Did he see battle? What did he see? What did he experience? What was it like to be him, this young Jewish boy in Japan at that time? Um, I just really wish I could get more details on that. You know, on the other hand, I'll say this, and I say this to a lot of my clients that I work with. Sometimes the mystery of our history is what inspires us to be more curious in general in life. And so that regret and longing fuel me, but they also—I um, mean, it's—it's. It's, I don't regret the regret and longing, if that makes sense. <laughs> it, it's sort of only only
0: you would not regret the regretted longing, <laughs> real. <laughs> All right, we're close to the end of our time here. Do you have any final comments you want to make before we sign off? And we'll make sure we post your website so that people can can find Belonging in the USA, the podcast, and the film, okay?
2: And, like, and Legacy Connections films, too. And, yes, I wanted to because I just was hearing myself laugh and remembering you wanted me to mention my— my, so after I graduated NYU, I went on to do the, I was in the first class of the directing program at Second City in Chicago, which is, for those of you who don't know, a hugely world-famous comedy theater, sketch comedy, and most of the major famous comedians that you know of probably started at Second City, Saturday Night Live, came out of Second City, SCTV, all these things, came out of, all these people, and, and I uh, made amazing cultural comedic icons came out of second city. So I started, you know, I did directing there and that's important because to me, part of getting, not just getting through life, but enjoying and thriving and maybe what you call lucky is my sense of humor and having a sense of humor and being able to notice, even in the midst of horrible, difficult, you know, tragedy or crises to continue to have a sense of humor. So all of the films that I mentioned for the belonging series that I, you know, deal with very intense topics, but I will tell you this, the audience is laughing. Um, and that's one of the reasons I've sort of paused the screenings because it's um, not as satisfying both to the audience or me to not be able to have that shared screening experience because the laughter is what fuels the the depth. Um, if you can make somebody laugh, if you can touch their heart in that way, um that's touching our humanity. We, You know, I don't know. I have amazing cats, but I've never really seen them laugh. I don't know if you all have seen animals laugh. I think that's one of the things that makes us uniquely human. So um, I always want to touch people's hearts in that way and be able to bring that kind of joy, so that I can also get to the transformational space that we're possible that we're able to create when we have access to our feelings. And laughter is one of the best. And um, I think it's a privilege to be able to make people laugh. So, And that's something I learned through Second City, so I wanted to make sure to mention that. Well,
0: that's, that's great. And we'll look forward to following you and looking at what you're going to bring out here. And Bonnie, do you have any last-minute comments?
1: I do because I want to sort of summarize how Arielle has changed the rules from my perspective just through this podcast, although I've known her for a long time. To me, she moved around a lot. She didn't stay like I grew up in Highland Park, which is where I still live and probably will never move. So, personally, it's very um, inspirational. She's traveled a lot. She's very curious, as she mentioned today. Um, She has the sense of humor that she tries to weave into even some serious work that she's doing because she gets the richness of life. It's not all positive. It's not all negative. You weave it together, and it really tells the story and makes the impact. And then lastly, I think, Arielle, I can just see you following your heart. You follow your head, too, but I feel like you're following your heart mostly, and they're like in front. Like, that's what leads you through so many of these choices that's just inspirational, and um, thanks for what you are doing and how you're teaching us all. Thank you, Bonnie. And you know, I love that you said that about following heart, my heart, because
2: literally, that is the main um motivation for me. I read Carlos Castaneda's books very young in my early 20s and one of the premises of all of his work is you ask the question is this a path with heart? And if uh-huh. it is you follow it and if you don't it's not your path. And that's the way I check in and check it's my vibe check. It's how I make my decisions, it's how I choose who I work with and what I work on and um because I from having course, chosen things not based on my heart in my life, I know the fallout and the consequences of that. So a path with heart is what I'm after.
0: Well, there's nothing more to say after that. So uh, we'll all follow <laughs> our heart. Hopefully we can do it like you do, Ariel. And, uh, you know, thanks again for listening to our podcast and uh, show up next week. We're going to have another great guest and uh, see everybody soon. Have a safe time.
1: Bye.